This is another episode of Flavor in Your Ear Podcast. A podcast about damn near any and every topic with no filter and zero regard for the easily offended. Everything you say upsets somebody. Please welcome the man behind the madness. The most important person with all due respect. Let's go! Your host and audio flavor maestro. My man. Marquise Edwards. What is going on, everyone? We are back with another episode of Flavoring Your Ear podcast with your host and maestro, Marquise Edwards. Today, I have a very special guest. I have been ramping up the intellectual guest and this all of the different personages that can add to educating and elevating our thinking. And I think you all going to enjoy this one. It's just a hunch. I don't know. We'll see. But I think you all going to really enjoy this uh, conversation because uh, we had green screen, green screen room talks. And uh, definitely uh, this is something that you like to hear to enlighten your viewpoint or learn something to learn anything. So Dr. Kim Yanuru is her name. Say hello to everybody. They might think I'm making it up here. You know, let's let, let, let them know you're there, Miss Miss Nuru. Hello. Thank you for having <laughs> me. Yes, I'm Dr. Kimya Nuru Dennis. Dr. Kimya Nuru. Thank you so much. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you. Um, we are so excited today uh, to talk about diversity. You know, diversity is what I feel. This is my opinion. When a lot of things start happening in the world, that it became more so of a catchphrase and more so of a cliche. And if we really want change, we really want things to be different in our society and in our world. We have to really know from people who are very well versed and educated on these issues and on these topics to be able to teach. And you have to be willing to learn as well. Um, but we need to be able to listen to a more than surface level. That's 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 my objective with uh, these special guests. I have more surface level. I'm not anywhere near, you know, an expert on these things, but I'm always willing to listen because I want change and I want to help propel change for every generation, young, old, middle, uh, regardless, you know, especially for minorities to be able to reciprocate this information to others so we can all teach each other. So with that being said, Dr. Nuru, may you please give us just a brief you know, bio on yourself, just you know, why you do this work, uh, what, what made you interested in this work, and you know, what's, what's your mission? What's your mission? Okay, so first and foremost, I'm a community outreach, community advocate. I am an educator, researcher, sociologist, and criminologist, and I'm born and raised in Richmond, Virginia, which is the second capital of the Confederacy in the stolen land that forcefully became United States of America. I'm a descendant of centuries of enslaved Africans on this stolen land. I lived in North Carolina for 17 years. That's where I got my doctorate. And then I was full-time faculty and part-time staff. And I've been in Baltimore, Maryland since 2019. So the work that I do is based in centuries of Black racial justice work. Black people have done racial justice writings, spoken words, poetry, songs, such as Billie Holiday's Strange Fruit. We've done generations of trainings regarding racial justice with white audiences as well, generations before people got paid to do these trainings. We've created and taught courses regarding this. So that's why I always tell people my work is based on centuries of Black work, 
before these popular catchphrases, catchwords mm. mm. existed, before people were getting white people's New York Times bestsellers book. I always highlight white people's New York Times because if it's a bestseller, it's because you got approval from certain demographics of people. Mm. So long before these departments and offices and DEI acronyms existed, Black people have done this work. And we've done this work by also collaborating with Indigenous people, Asians, non-white Hispanics, non-white Latinx, Latin A, Latino people, even before those titles existed themselves, right? So Black people are the trailblazers for this work. And unfortunately, it's just like with affirmative action policies and practices since the 1980s. When we start something, people unfortunately jump on our backs and they benefit. Like white women are the biggest benefits of affirmative action, are the biggest benefits of claims to HR and discrimination claims. So that's why this work that I do is beyond definitions and actually saying what are the real live examples and real life changes for centuries to come. So thank you. You're very welcome. Yeah, so you speak on DEI um, that brings to mind. Um, we did speak briefly in the green room about DEI and it's become uh, it's more so like a staple in workplaces and a lot of people giving free diversity, inclusion and equity and inclusion courses. And you know, everybody's so evolved around, you know, the, the DEI. Uh, how do you feel about these type of DEIs? Do you feel that Number one, are they effective and are they truly highlighting what DEI or what diversity, inclusion, equity, equity and inclusion um, really are? Well, no, they're not effective. So mm. bias trainings are not effective and the people making a lot of money from bias trainings. But when people say, how do you know it's not effective? I say, well, the, the groups that control us the most and harm us the most are the ones who do the most bias trainings. Guess which groups those are? school decision makers with school Mm. teachers Mm. police and law enforcement and medical and health professionals bias trainings are very popular for those three groups but guess what it hasn't changed the curriculum it hasn't changed policies and practices it hasn't changed misdiagnoses and false prescriptions medications it hasn't changed police practices abuse it hasn't changed that stuff, right? Same thing with military and military do bias trainings. So a lot of times I tell people, your bias training is a waste of time. You're going into it. Okay, all humans have biases and prejudices and assumptions. The difference is the power dynamic. How does that allow people to go from the thought to the actual actions? Mm. Right? That's key. Yes, ma'am. And then over the years, people have celebrated things like DEI certifications and and even things like ally certificates like come on people this is grown folks stuff we're not in elementary school we're on the playground i don't care how many certificates for allyship equity stuff you're you're celebrating i need to know beyond yelling when you're marching down the street bragging about you fought a police and posting it on twitter what are you literally doing when you're on board of directors What are you doing when you're in charge of the curriculum, the library materials, when you're in charge of possibly changing or removing standardized tests? 
Like, what are you doing? And if all you're doing is yelling about critical race theory, which Black people have researched since the 1980s, then that number one means you don't know about thousands of years of African knowledges around the world. We're not just one theory. Number two, you don't understand the purpose of theory. If you're stuck in, and I created and taught theory courses for college students for 10 years, if you're stuck in talking about theory, when people ask you for actions and you can just come back to a theory, then you don't understand that a theory is to be tested. It's not meant to apply to real life like that. Hmm. And number three, you can do all the trainings in your life. You can do all the certifications in your life. At the end of the day, the minoritized people in particular are waiting for you to get beyond your professional advancement, true, beyond bragging about yourself, beyond hashtagging, and explain what are you doing besides trying to declare yourself an exception to the problem, right? That's very common when talking about gender inequities. There's cisgender people and men and boys who will say, I'm the good ones. I'm not like those others. White people love to say that around the world. I'm a good white person. I voted for so-and-so. Or mm-hmm. I donate to, you know, this Canadian children. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. the list goes on and on. Instead of declaring yourself the rescuer and the exception, what are you doing to contribute to the larger problem? And these problems will exist for the rest of human existence. Humans have never been allowed to exist for thousands of years without not just categorical distinctions, but injustices that result from the distinctions. So I always have to tell people, don't think you're ending problems in your lifetime. Instead, you're providing groundwork based on what people have done before you. You're doing your work, knowing it's not going to be perfect. And you're leaving groundwork for future generations. So that's what this, that's why I tell people, I I don't want to hear about any more bias trainings. I don't want to hear about what new book you've read and all that other stuff. Those are distractions from actually holding people accountable to see what's being done. Hmm. Uh, Everything you said is spot on, I I must say. And I'm quite sure in some form or fashion, everyone can relate to specifically what you said. You know, we all work in mixed environments, uh, you know, minorities, majorities, all working mixed environments and things like that. So that is a reality that we deal with. That's the reality that we all deal with. We all had that one person or persons that, you know, are try to be the exception or, you know, always try to throw themselves out there as I'm not like the rest of them. So I, that's very, very relatable as well. You spoke on uh, the school system, which I also have a strong uh believe in and that it starts young of course right so curriculums and things like that in school that you know all children are learning that's where it starts so where do you see the the, the defects in the education system that, that plants these seeds early on and what do you think can how, how can it how can it improve how can it improve i know there is a problem so what do you see wrong and how do you think they can improve just you know, some practical solutions on how they can improve with the you know the what they're teaching in these institutions yeah so for starters a lot of times when people will talk about black people trying to change curriculum i always say black people have actually demanded those changes for more than a century black people have more than a century of not just running around screaming, but actually researching, writing proposals for how to change curriculum. 
writing proposals to police departments, writing proposals to medical and health facilities. Uh, we're not this stupid group of people that we're depicted who are just running around without knowledge and just screaming and you know, burning down buildings is how we're oftentimes depicted. And so whenever people talk about things like school board meetings, where people are demanding anything, now people are talking about, uh, you know, mostly angry white people, but it's, it's black and brown people who unfortunately have fallen along with that. Um, they're not really understanding the full foundation of how this is tied to centuries, five centuries, and not just in this land, United States of America, but Canada, Europe, continent Africa, literally around the world, every school is controlled by a group of people that's only 12% of the world population, and that's white people. So when we talk about minority and majority, we wanna highlight that minority can be in reference to population size or can be in reference to power. So white people are the population size of stolen land such as USA, Canada. White people are the population size majority of Europe. And so unfortunately though, when we talk about the population size majority of these lands, white people are the population size minority of the world including on the continent of African and nations like South Africa, where white people are the power majority, but are the population size minority. So that's always important to highlight the difference between population size and the power that's happening, because that shapes everything about learning. It's everything about the textbooks that are chosen, the publishers that are used. So a lot of times when people say they're doing curriculum changes, like let's say that people wanna have more indigenous and aboriginal knowledge because we have thousands of years of sciences, medicines, mathematics, arts, literatures, musics from mm -hmm. Africans, indigenous, aboriginals, Asians, right? Mm -hmm. Yet and still, even when you go to Asian medicine centers, guess who runs those? And guess who creates those? Usually white people, mm. okay? which is why nearly every textbook and nearly every well-known journal article and book that you can find in much of the world are white people. And it's not just men, contrary to what white women want you to believe, it's also women. Because mm -hmm. that's what a lot of people think when they think diversity, let's bring white women in, okay? Mm -hmm. So that's the foundation of schools. No matter where you are around the world, even on the continent of Africa, when people say we are advancing in knowledge, we are advancing in terms of school building. What they consider advancing is to bring in more European white knowledge. They're not furthering African sciences and African medicines. They're furthering the white knowledge because the idea is that you have to prove that you know more about European white stuff. Mm. So when you hear people talk about classical school or classical theory, it's mostly that they're talking about white people, mostly white men, mostly cisgender heterosexual, mostly middle upper class in terms of income and education as well. So that's the foundation of schools. So when people say they're changing the schools for the better, they're usually not 
because when I look at their curriculum plans, because I specialize in curriculum, they're doing curriculum plans that are still very white based and white controlled. What they're doing is shifting the socioeconomic and political focus of white people. So now they'll look for approval from white liberals, white progressives, white socialists, for example, because these are considered the white people who are the exception, but it's still white people. And so therefore it's a prestige ranking still based on white definitions of knowledge. And it's very difficult for a lot of people to understand this because they're not accustomed to K through 12, colleges, universities, including medical degree programs and PhD programs in which things aren't centered around white people. Like they consider including the rest of us to be a special topics course or an elective Mm. course. Like they consider that to be a side topic. The main topic, which is the foundation of every field of expertise and every occupation around the world, almost, the main topic is what white people are talking about. And you see that entire nations and entire continents where it's mostly black people, Asians, indigenous, and Aboriginal people, because they've just been taught that you really are developing and advancing when you start to incorporate more of white people's stuff. And even if white people did, are not the originators of a lot of this stuff, white people are the main publishers because what they do for five centuries is they steal knowledges around the world, put them in museums, put them in libraries, and then they put their names on it. And as, for example, black people, we have a difficult time proving it's ours. Like we might find something in a black person's basement passed down from generation to generation, Mm-hmm. But when we try to present it as ours, most anthropologists, for example, will say, well, we don't have any evidence because the evidence is intentionally only for white people. So that's what literally happens in every part of our lives, including medicine and health, including looking at issues regarding the military and law enforcement. So therefore, when people create and they structure schools, including indigenous schools, HBCUs, black schools, it still is that same foundation because a lot of times they consider it too difficult to find the stuff that's black and brown people's stuff. It's difficult for a reason. That's the intentional foundation of making it difficult and exhausting to find the stuff. Hmm, I don't think it's, I don't think it's difficult. I think it's more so, you know, you're not looking hard enough. <laughs> well, so the, the hard enough is the subjective part because mm-hmm. it's also important to remember that curriculum is part of the accreditation. So accreditation agencies, even in predominantly Black, Asian, Indigenous, Aboriginal nations are still very much connected to white standards of knowledge, right? Including considering English as a foundational language. So a lot of times when people ask me which languages I speak, I say I speak the language forced on us and I speak the language that we had to create from our Western African languages, Black English, right? Black Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. vernacular. So it is difficult for a reason. And there's more and more free information on the Internet that's actually legitimate. You can find entire indigenous mathematics books, their entire African mathematics and African sciences books that I now provide to people. There are entire annotated bibliographies. Some are written and published by indigenous people, black people, and Asians. However, we have to remember having the list of items does not mean you'll actually find the actual product itself. Hmm. 
So unfortunately, when you do library search engines, it's intentionally made and libraries, you know, libraries do annual accreditation, which I used to help with as faculty, where at the end of every academic year, they would contact us as faculty and academic coordinators and say, which materials can we just get rid of? Because people haven't checked these out in, in years. And that's a difficult decision because there's no such thing as knowledge that is too old unless it's absolutely false, right? There's a lot of false stuff out there. Correct. But if it's Correct. just old, then we're like, uh, you know. And then the false stuff, sometimes schools will just give false information out to a thrift store. So now you're still recreating false information. Like no, you might have discovered mm-hmm. that history book is false, but now somebody can buy it from a thrift store. You just at, at, a, at a cheap price. <laughs> at a cheap price, All right? right? Or, or, or for free. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, so that's the foundation of schools. And when we tell people to put more into it, put more effort and time and resources into it, a lot of times they're mad at us because they want us to accept the bare minimum efforts they put, especially as black people. Like, you know, many non-black people are allowed to demand more and to never stop. But Black people, which includes Black LGBTQIA people, Black people with disability, you know, Black people in poverty around the world, like whatever the case may be, we are expected to accept yes, with nothing coming from it, (laughs) to be told vote or die. So we keep voting and when Mm. nothing comes from it, we're told be patient, you know, things, things, time. We're, We're one of the few minoritized groups around the world over the centuries to told daily to just comply and and you know and shut up about it shut up about it and move on huh and that's how every school operates in fact including black schools unfortunately and and i could go on for that forever in terms of how most black schools they go with that but they put some it's kind of like blackface they'll put black people at the top of the decision makers they'll add some black scholars um Check black the box. activists check, check the box I mean it's it's, and that's been an issue though with black knowledge for centuries on this western hemisphere because the information stolen from us people had to recreate a lot of it and it became this very intellectual elitism like Du Bois' Talented 10 right so that's another issue altogether so, so when you were speaking I noticed that um, you said the word um, majority, but you said power majorities. Mm-hmm. So what what necessarily do you, what what's what's the difference in a majority and a power majority? Are you meaning that the influence they have, or could you elaborate on what a power majority is in your own words? Yeah, so power majority is based on influence and decision makers. So not just in terms of ideas and theories, but actually in terms of do you have the crucial decision making capacity, and it's. Most And this is where we always talk about the heavy, constant correlation between economics, race, health, and everything about us, right? That whole, these collaborating identities, especially for minoritized people, where when we talk about power decision-making, we can empower our people around the world. Like I'm Pan-African, so we talk about empowerment. And we can always highlight to never define ourselves as oppressed in the sense of lacking thousands of years of knowledges that are formed over five centuries in parts of the world. 
but we also have to talk about how does this look in real life, right? Mm-hmm. So when we talk about changing schools, we have to understand the difference between tokenism and actual decision-making power. So you can add as many black school principals, for example, that you want in schools. You can add as many black presidents of nations that you want. You can add as many black medical doctors that you want. But if they're going to comply with what white people have taught and trained and required of them, and I just had a meeting right before I spoke with you where I, I tell people a lot of times black people will come to black people and say, I finally left that job after all these years and they want to be applauded. And I always say, I'm never going to celebrate a black person who was the spectator and even the contributor to a black person being oppressed. Instead of asking us to thank you for leaving that job, reach back to the black people who you abused to keep that job. Hmm, and the same thing happens to schools, right? That's where the power majority is different than just being added because most black people who are added in decision-making capacities are added to be basically the, the person on the website. It's the equivalent mm-hmm. because they might add some cool stuff like a committee. They might do some trainings. They might add a new book to the reading list. But when we tell people, okay, you've added me here because I'm going to change the policies. I'm going to change your annual assessment for accreditation. I'm going to change this. Then people get offended. They'll tell you, well, we've got to wait. Can't happen quickly. But what they're really saying is shut up, black woman, sit here and use this for your business networking for your career advancement. Hmm. So that's where power majority has to always be distinguished. So when we tell black people that we have more power than oftentimes we think, that's that's a confidence building, right? Because we can go in and do some decisions and, and have deal breakers, but we also have to realize a lot of times, and I know this from personal and business experiences, when we have deal breakers, a lot of times the black people who told us that we were empowered are nowhere to be seen. Because we incorporated the deal breakers literally, and they probably just wanted us to think of it more like a motivational speech, right? Mm-hmm. So that's where power majority is different than just being there and told that you can be outspoken. Because a lot of times when you're invited to do trainings, even people love your outspokenness, mm-hmm. but they don't expect you to do some stuff. Like they're like, yeah, it's it's the equivalent of since the George Floyd protests, so many white people acted like George Floyd was like the first real time this happened to black folks, despite, you know, five centuries, despite Emancipation Proclamation. Mm -hmm. Uh, By the way, never thank Abraham Lincoln. He didn't care about us. Um, Despite, you know, the police formation used to control us around the world, including fully black police departments. People really want us to pretend that stuff is new. And they want some protests when it's convenient. And then when you say, okay, y'all march down that street. Now let's have this meeting to change some policies and school curriculum. People look at their watches. Ah, I'm busy. I got to go cook dinner. So that's why I tell people, if you don't have that time, then instead of that march, let's come in here and do this meeting now. And that's when people get annoyed because a lot of people don't want to actually do the lasting. So that's where the power majority is different than saying that you're empowered. So, uh, you know, 
in simple terms out there, she's talking about the lip service. You know, that's like one of the uh, one of the terms that you know, a lot of the younger folks use is lip service. Uh, talking about it, but not you know, doing about it. Um, as as we as we mature in life, we understand that actions speak a lot louder than words. I'm quite sure, even even I mean, even with politics and presidents and everything like that, we all hear all of the what they're gonna do, and you know they say all these good things, but the follow up far as the actions that's where you kind of separate uh you know who's really about it and that's 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 an issue across the board with a lot of things but this is a more serious issue where you know people are like literally like monetizing and and companies are you know uh you know getting income from these 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 this these crazy issues right they 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 get in money from this right so like it's it's a rare it's a it's a huge problem. I I love that we are discussing the problem, analyzing the problem, and there are some solutions to fix it. But it's going to be not for the faint of heart. I'll say because this is as you said, all of the research and all of the time to contribute to making these things what they are today. It's going to take ten times more effort to eradicate them. That's what I believe, at least. And, and I think the 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 question is, you know, are people prepared? for that for no for that fight because it's going to be a generational thing you know not just me and you we're trying our best you know while we had a baton in our hands but you know to give as much effort as we can with the baton to give to the next ring so because it has to be a cycle of you know eradicating this because this this is it's finally well it's not gonna, i'm not gonna say finally because it's, it's always been showing it and and the things that happen in the world you know people are always shocked like like you said like it's the first thing but these things have been happening 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 over and over and over again. And I think people are just at a boiling point where they just see what we've been doing before or how we've been turning a blind eye before is not enough to change the problem unless we want to keep suffering. Do you, yeah, you, agree, and, you, agree, and, you agree? Well, yeah. So like I said previously, these problems will always exist as humans exist, right? So mm-hmm. unfortunately, a lot of people think racism will disappear and that's just not how, that's not how this is going to go. And most people, when they say racism disappearing, what they're trying to do is get rid of white people's racial categorization. So they say race whiteness is very common. And and then that's when I remind people, even my sociology colleagues, that sociologists term that colorblind racism in a sense. This idea that if you get rid of the whiteness racial categorization, that actually reinforces what white people always say anyway, is that white people are the race neutral expert on everything. Because whenever we say something pertains to race, which by the way, race and racism are not synonymous. So I can talk about my racial identity, my black pride, my pro-black pan-African work without talking about white people, without talking about racism, they're not synonymous. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times when we talk about race, people say, well, if you hadn't brought up race, then we wouldn't have a problem. And that's the interesting psychology of it all, because I also do social psychology work. And the examples we oftentimes use are anything regarding humans, like this, the notion of science, the falsehood that if we don't recognize it as humans, if we haven't learned about it, it means it doesn't exist. You're now tuned in to Flavor in Your Ear. Flavor in Your Ear.